Hello, everybody. Tom Harrison and Ken Krogh with the Eternal Core podcast. We've got Martha Johnson with us today. It's a pretty neat experience that you've had, some of the research that you've been doing. Can you tell us a bit about it? We're, we're really interested here. Well, uh, lots of angles to pursue, but the, the issue that's, I think, more at uh, most at uh, central to the Eternal Core yeah. uh, project would be um, uh, my, a lot of my work has been with the Aborigines of Australia. Uh, and so, you know, to, to take a look at their perspectives on healing and spirituality within healing uh, has been one of my life's kind of focal points. And um, kind of. Now you mentioned they were quite averse to being in the public eye. So you've had to really engender their trust and, right. and, and hold on to that trust. And, right. Well, we appreciate And this is one of the first times you've ever really talked and Really shared. stepped out in a, in a real, yeah. you know, wow. public way. And there's way. a book coming? I'm there's sure. a book forthcoming. Now it's, it's, it's dependent upon a lot of different factors as to when that's going to happen. So sure. I don't really talk too far and wide about it either, although I'm not adverse to talking about it. It's just, it's just there's no telling when, when all, the, all the cogs will come together in such a way that it's the green light to go. Gotcha. Yeah. What cultural barriers were there in gaining trust and and being able to be admitted into their, you know, centuries long process of healing? A lot of uh, you ask about the trust. Um, the trust was dismissed so so uh, horribly through the the infiltration of the Western culture yeah. into their culture colonialism, you know, with, with all the dynamics of that, and then yeah. we've seen that played out, you know, across the world globally. Um, and it, it, it really is uh, very stark there in the Australian history. Um, Captain Cook landed in, in 1770, 18 years later-ish, um, 1788. Uh, the first fleet from Britain came, uh, landed in Botany Bay, and then, you know, colonization slowly took over and as, as they interfaced with the Aboriginal people, uh, they were, it was not only, you know, some, some horrific clashes is, is, is not, you know, unknown in, in, in the history, but uh, anthropologically, they, you know, the, the, the white fella would come in and try to understand uh, or try to, you know, study uh, these folks, but it, it, they always felt misrepresented, terribly misrepresented. Um, and, uh, you know, made out to be cannibals, uh, made out to be uh, many things, savages, many things that, that they're not, simply because their, their cultural structure is different. Yeah. And uh, their way of, 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 of life uh, is so very different in its paradigm that, uh, and they didn't have the guns. And so they, they lost the land to, the, to those who had more gunpowder. So a similar process is what happened here with very, our Native Americans. Yeah, very sad to say. But sometimes it almost looked like um, trying to extinguish a whole culture, or is that too strong? No, that's not too strong. And I, you know, uh, genocide was on the minds, perhaps, you know, um, explicitly for some. Now, I, I, you know, I want to give everybody the benefit of the doubt, but when you start to look at the history, it's pretty hard to avoid some of the evidences that there was intentional elimination of the race in the name of white supremacy, quite frankly. And uh, it's, it's gut-wrenching and heartbreaking. Um, uh, and the, that people, the Aboriginal people, are still, still suffering f from, from that mentality being imposed upon them mm -hmm. in very 
very abusive and fatal ways. Mm -hmm. A very strong sense, though, of a very long history of, of practicing medicine and, and helping with herbs and things of that nature. So what were some of the surprises? What were some of the things that when they finally let you in that you went, oh my goodness, this is wonderful, or this is interesting, or yeah. help us yeah. understand. Well, let me, let me back up a half, okay. a half step with, with a, a quick little telling of how it was that I was introduced to them. I was sick with chronic fatigue, Epstein-Barr syndrome for a number of years, and so many of the things that had helped me to get well were off the conventional maps of Western medicine. And I learned very quickly as I was excited to find new things that were helping me, and I'd share that with a friend or two, or the parents of some friends, or whomever, that I thought, oh, they'll be excited with me. I would get answers like, uh, do you know, I have a psychiatrist you might want to go visit. <laughs> Interesting. And, and they may have been very sincere, but the take that I got from it was, you think that what I've just told you about is quackery and then I need my head examined. That was the message that I got. got and more than once, I mean, multiple times. And so I learned pretty fast to shut my mouth about things that I was getting some help with. And then I, got, I was introduced to a book, uh, Mutant Message Down Under, Marlo Morgan, um, printed in the 80s, um, early 90s perhaps, uh, that really turned me on to what is at work, the, the, the cultural mm -hmm. structures of belief in other cultures. Healing message down under? A mutant message. Mutant message. Yeah, and we Thank are the you. mutants. The, oh. the white fella is the mutant. Oh. Yeah, we're the ones who have been morphed. And uh, I can't say that I don't, uh, I, I, I agree with that uh, in a lot okay. of ways. Okay. So, Interesting uh, title. It's very. Yeah. And I, uh, I, I uh, took that book, um, took that book in and recognized as different as the cultural uh, you know, trappings were, this woman's going walk about with the Aborigines through the outback, some just astonishing experiences that she has with them. She's a white woman from, from Missouri. Uh, the book is a little controversial, won't go there, but it captivated me. And so with that, some friends got assigned through their church assignments to Australia. Uh, the, the wife and that couple started asking around and it was not long at all before uh, a uh, uh, Aboriginal family was inviting me as a BYU student to come and learn about their culture. Um, and, wow. and she said over just over the phone, yep, yep, she can come live with us, she can stay in the shack out back. So for seven months, on and off, uh, the first go, and then over the next many, uh, well, four years uh, consistently, in and out of Australia for months at a time, uh, sometimes in Sydney, sometimes in Darwin, sometimes down in Elliott in the outback where this family's uh, uh, people were from, and their, their community still is, their camp. You can see why I wanted Martha on the program. What a fascinating uh, experience to spend uh, in the outback, you yeah. know, with these individuals. Yeah, and what, what took me there was to say, basically the premise was, if you change the cultural um, paradigm, you change access to healing because you've dropped judgment. So when you get judgment out of the way and allow things to be whatever they are on their own merits, there's things that work for us uh, and, and, and provide healing that otherwise are blocked when, when judgment's in play. Judgment is every bit a pathogen as any other pathogen there is, as any germ, parasite, you know, virus, bacteria, fungus, whatever it may be. Well Ju said. Judgment is, needs to be yeah. on that list. Yeah. And, and across it, cultures, yes. anytime we have major judgment, 
we are creating more of a pathogen. Absolutely, and I want to be quick though to, to identify that when I, when I talk to judgment in that sense, I mean it in the condemning sense. Correct. Not the discerning sense. As yeah, very we, functional. Yes. Yeah, dis discerning judgment is a whole Needed every day, animal. needed minute right. by minute, but right. condemning judgment, that's what we're asked to leave behind. That's not our seat to take, and when we do that, we're sitting in someone else's chair. Well said, beautiful. So, um, we need to get out of his seat and allow others to to you know express themselves in ways that are that are um, you know true to who they feel they they are, uh, and that's what I went to the to the native or to the indigenous peoples of the South Pacific to look at, and I, I did some cross cultural comparisons with with the Samoans and the Fijians, native healers in both places, the Maori in New Zealand. Uh, uh, that's I, my thesis centered around doing that cross-cultural comparative a little bit with the Native Americans here in, in uh, Montana. What were you but trying to find? I was looking at how do they know to do, what do they know to do for healing when healing is needed by tradition? And what do Beautiful. they understand are their, their beliefs around it? How do they know to do it and what do they believe is happening? And uh, you know, so so much of, of those, uh, those people's uh, tradition is based uh, in the earth. You know, that it's the connection between uh, the children of the earth and the earth, the mother earth. Yeah, versus that, the world, the uh, right. Western culture. Western culture. And so that's the first thing you have to do in, when you're understanding, trying to understand the aboriginal people uh, or any of those indigenous cultures of the islands, um, is, is drop this um, categorical worldview that the Western scientific method uses. We're really good at dissection and specialization and taking things apart. We're not so good at holding things together in their whole and yeah. understanding how they work in totality in their holism. So we can speak to that a lot, but we're having to come from a long time back to catch up to what these other uh, indigenous folks have held for centuries and centuries with tremendous results. I mean, even in Samoa, when I worked there with some of the uh, 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 native healers, those who were of most sound reputation, I'd sit and watch I watched a woman come who had been sent from the hospital. Uh, she was in her later years, but um, she just had a stroke. And the hospital sent her to the native healer to, to be healed. And she was on her like eighth or ninth day of coming each day, but she was walking in, whereas before they had had to carry her in. So in those settings, a lot of times the, the, the um, Western medical people are present, but they, they are learning more deference for and working together with the, the native healers to, to their credit and to, their, to the people's benefit. So that's part of what started the thesis work down there in, in Australia was working with a group or with a, a woman, uh, uh, the grandmother of this family that invited me to live with them, who had developed a, a program addressing uh, neonatal and maternal health care issues, primarily low birth weight babies. Mm -hmm. And the way she did that, she, she coined the, 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 ter the title for the program as Strong Women, Strong Babies, Strong Culture. Mm. It was immensely effective, especially in the first four years when she was its primary director. Uh, but she was wisely enough commissioned by the Northern Territory Health Administration to do this. Uh, because they were seeing anything they were doing from the European model was only making circumstances worse. So they, they could see that this woman, Lorna Fijo is her name, had tremendous influence. She was a, a, a domestic worker and a hospital uh, custodian basically, worked in the kitchen at times. The women would come from the camps into the hospital, find Lorna, have a chat with her, and leave obviously having been satisfied by, what, by whatever it was she, she did or said for them or whatever it was. So they sent her out to the camps to do the teaching under her direction. How would you teach 
basic lifestyle, good health uh, choices to these, to these women in a way that's culturally sensitive. So she came up with this title, Strong Women, Strong Babies, Strong Culture, to demonstrate the link between how these women could affect their culture by raising strong children. And it was their, it was their aboriginal identity to, to do so. And so she spoke with them in, in, uh, in culturally sensitive ways and reintroduced them to their ceremonies, interestingly enough. And so I was invited to, to, to observe and participate to some degree, but when it was time for ceremony, I, I was asked to not, not be there. And I was, I was fine with that, out of great respect. Now, for a lot of folks in the Utah or greater you know, um, Western United States you know, community, we were familiar with temples of the, of the Latter-day Saint mm -hmm. Church. Um, and so there's a lot of uh, understanding around how we hold, those of us who are members of that church, hold that very sacred. And so we speak carefully of it outside the temple. It is the same and then some with the Aborigines. They're even more defensive of it um, uh, in, in both functional and dysfunctional ways because they've been so abused by misrepresentation. Mm. And so those things that they hold sacred, they don't want just, you know, let anybody handle that. I was privy to, to some ceremonies like the smoke baby ceremony. Now you can see, for example, that you say smoke baby to a European oriented person and you're going to think, oh, you're prepping them to, 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 to eat that child, mm. is that? And so there's the assumptions and off they run, you know, putting feathers in their anthropological caps and, uh, you know, uh, yet, you know, doing, doing wrong by the people that they've studied. A smoke baby ceremony is in fact uh, orienting the child to their position between heaven and earth the moment they arrive mm, wow. from mother. It's a very sacred experience, but they do allow others to see it. Uh, it's a blessing on every part of that baby's body using a combination of, 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 um, of um, foodstuffs and, and medicines that are gathered from the bush, bush tucka, bush medicine, that are gathered and prepared in particular ways over the fire. There's two fires and they, they do it just so. Watching the woman do this that was showing me how, how to go about it, it was like watching my mother in her kitchen just working mm. so fluidly, you know, mm. knew where everything was and how to, and, and at the whole time she's chanting softly under her breath. I'd been prepped enough to know that what she was chanting was very specific and very, very blessing-esque and connecting this child to, to heaven and this spot on earth as this child's mm. uh, place of orientation. And the, doing so to, to strengthen, to fortify, to give constitutional fortitude, um, you know, for that child's life. And they would do it again if ever there was a need. Like they did it for me for a child who had a horrible, you know, infection of some sort, a lot of mucus, um, to try to help clear that out. And I wasn't there long enough to, to document that indeed it had. I take their, take their word for it. But um, those are the kind of experiences that I was able to have being there with them. Um, and as far as its effect on, on me, mind-blowing. <laughs> I mean, there's only so many cockroaches you can sleep with before you, <laughs> before you crawl out of your own skin. And that's perfect because to, to take on a paradigm that is uh, that holistic, you, you kind of do need to crawl out of your own skin in a, yeah. in a sense when you've come from the world that is so indoctrinated around, quite frankly, you know, ethno and egocentrism. 
Right. We've we're, we've been pretty as a Western culture, pretty sold on ourselves. Yes. And and to our great disservice. It's all about I I I. Yes. And there's a place for you know you know personal accomplishment. Okay, we we we, we get the point. But but after a while, can we come back together? And that's part of my my intent is to help bridge a gap between uh, our world and their world to help our world understand that, that these folks have a lot to teach us yes. and to help them understand that there are many of us now who get uh, the wrongs that have been done by our people collectively to them and we would like to like to make amends mm -hmm. so and like to like to join together in a way that says let's move forward and and heal this heal, heal this this world together in a in a really um, mutually affable way. It's interesting the similarity between what you're talking about and some of the traditions and ceremonies of the African culture, sure, uh, and the the Native American cultures, uh -huh. and, and I think all those indigenous cultures have these ceremonies. They do. And, and uh, it's, it's wonderful to hear the connectiveness of those. Uh, it almost sounds to me like there was some help from, from some other side to create this structure to be so uniform throughout the world yeah. before the ego and Western medicine structure came in or right. European medicine which just poo-pooed it all. Right, right, yeah, that sense of fragmentation uh, is the taking apart of. Now there's a lot to be learned from the scientific method. I don't want to throw that under the bus, but um, and unless you bring it back together, you will not see it in its integrity, and therefore yeah. you can't really learn of its life-giving property. So, you know, who is it that likes to take things apart to destroy and separate, and who is it that wants to bring things together and make them one? Yeah. yeah. How did so. Peter say it? Uh, Through Christ, all things hold together. That's right. That's right. And you if know, in one religious structure, yeah, you know, yeah, I, that's one of my most favorite sayings. That all things come together through that connection with deity. Mm -hmm. And to to bring the scientific to that, because there's so many who scientific, great scientific minds who are God fearing. Uh, Louis Pasteur, for example, he said, a little science leads us away from God. A lot of science leads us back to him. That's beautiful. Isn't yeah. that? Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, we can, I think there's lots to be learned from, from good, really well done science, as long as we keep uh, a, a, an eye on how does what we are studying through our narrow microscope fit into the bigger picture so we don't get duped into thinking this is all yeah. that there is to see and forget that we can not only do this, but it can synergistically do this. We, we, have, to keep, we have to keep reminding ourselves that we are so myopic by nature. What were some of the mind-opening, eye-opening experiences, the first epiphanies you had while you were there that you realized this is a different approach? Do you remember? Can you walk yeah. us through just a couple yeah. of them? Yeah, waiting. With no, you know, uh, waiting under a, a bullwaddy tree. <laughs> well, you knew right where to go, waiting. That was a whole yeah. different world, huh? It, well, um, and I, we had arranged, my, my friend and I, she was younger than I. She's the daughter of the family that invited me to come live with them and the granddaughter of the woman, Lorna Fijo, who did the program, and uh, the Strong Women's Program. Uh, she and I had, had arranged, or she had arranged with one of her cousins to come take me out uh, bush tucker hunting. 
you got bush tucker hunting. Okay. Bush tucker hunting. <laughs> um, and so we met out in front of the ro the roadhouse, sitting on a the edge on a on a low fence under a tree, uh, somewhere near about that time that they'd be coming. Had my you know watch on. You're my ready to cargo go. pants yeah. and my boots and you know my little backpack with my notes and my little recorder and I was going to play the part of the of the researcher, and I got dressed down by the weight. And that taught me a lesson I have never forgotten. Uh, we waited for three hours, I guess, something like that. And, and finally, my friend Jessica turned to me and said, you know, Martha, it's not a waste of time to wait. Interesting. And that's, that right there epitomizes so much of the difference between the Aboriginal perspective and paradigm and the Western European American impatient yeah, yeah. paradigm. And so I took my watch off. I threw my planner back in my backpack and... Uh, I don't know that I've ever used a planner since. That would be hard for a lot of us. And I took, I, I've not worn a watch since. Okay, all right, so my phone, I've got, I've, I, I carry a phone, yes, sure. I do. But, but I really am, I have, I have grown very uncomfortable in time. I, that's one of the effects of being with them on me, is that I really don't like worshiping time. It, it, it really is a waste of time to do that. Well, and, and, and time, I, I've... <laughs> I, I've said to my teens that uh, stress is caused by self-imposed deadlines. Yes. Yeah. And you know, a lot of times when we have some big event or something about to happen, the stress goes up as we set our own constructs in time. Uh -huh. And it sounds like this people that you got to spend so much wonderful time with, that's something they've been able to set aside. And, yeah, it means you know. something different to them. In fact, that one of the opening lines of the book is uh, we're introducing Lorna when she's born, um, as, as her voice comes into the, into the book after the setup, um, she says, uh, I don't know when I was born. You know, to the Aborigines, dates are something you eat. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and so she was born round about when the conca berries uh, were on. You know, a in, season, not a, a day. A season. Yeah. And when the conca berries were, you know, were on. So you know, she was born somewhere late September, early October. There's a little wow. hunch that she and I might have the same birthday. Oh, that, I wouldn't bet against it. <laughs> yeah, we, she and I kind of have a vibe about mm. that. But I was born in early October, and she could, it could be very much the same, the same birthday. But that's how they measure time. So what so, about more along the lines of physical and, and emotional health versus physical health? What were some of the insights you gained around around that side of it. Yeah, okay, so from the perspective of, of, a, of a more holistic, big yeah. picture point of view, you have to, you know, and, and again, uh, looking to how the, the Aboriginal perspective is to hold all things together, they don't compartmentalize. In their purest of... It's all together. It's all together. In their purest of, 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 uh, of lifestyles, they are doing everything from a spiritual perspective oh. and everything from a physical perspective and everything from an emotional perspective. It's all one. And so to separate them out and talk about them in, in category or compartment or whatnot is, is kind of, it's very strange to them. Now, they can, those who are of, you know, of our time, they'll, they'll, they're very conversant with that. Um, but it, it's, it's not their native way. So to understand uh, healing and healthcare and uh, mental health and such, uh, you, you look at the totality and the, and the, the, the holism. So to, to consider... Um, coming into one's best health, you know, their optimal uh, sense of well-being, 
and not consider how they relate to God, um, it, just, it just boggles the mind. You can't, you can't get to that kind of health without reconnecting to God. You, and, wow. and who is God? God is not just an individual, um, though he is that. They do believe in the rainbow serpent. The, um, some, some of the tribal um, dialects will refer to him as Bayami. Um, there are traditions that, uh, that a white god came to them in white robes and, and, um, and taught them in their sacred places. Wow. There are those traditions uh, that would be very much in keeping with, you know, with the Book of Mormon story. Um, but uh, it's, God is that we are, we are more one with him than we are hierarchical. And, and our sense of place in, in heaven and earth is, um, you know, they do, they, ha they believe in the dream time. Well, it's akin to the spirit world in our, in our structure of thinking. Uh, but it's much more fluid for them. The veil, I think just by nature, they have a capacity for spiritual intuition that, that uh, they have not lo lost. Now, some have. I want to be, you know, let's, let's be real, let's be fair. There are some who are so out of place in the Western world that's been imposed upon them that they have fallen deep into addiction and, and horrible lifestyle style habits. Uh, that, you know, you remove them from their land, however, or you, or you contain them to a parcel of land through some sort of, of fencing or, you know, some sort of restriction imposed by a government, and you may as well have skinned them alive. Wow. It is that, that disruptive to their sense of who they are, where they belong, and what they are to do. If they can't, if they can't be connected to their land, to the place of their birth and the place of their ceremony, and if they can't follow their song lines and do their walkabout, and, and receive in those in critical places informations that are shared between tribes or between totems, and, and from, from the dream time, um, then, then they, don't, they, are not, they, they don't know who they are. They're, they're a shell of themselves. And so, you know, you look at that and you consider, bring that to us and consider where are we, I, th I think we're anesthetized by our materialism and we've become kind of to just what is our connection with heaven and earth. We don't, we have forgotten the temple that we are intended to be. We don't, we are, we are not remembering that. Yeah. But when we restore ourselves to, to something of that feeling and start to follow it and, and then become that connection between light and land and love and law. When we bring those together, there is life. And if ever a people lived that in antiquity the way um, that anybody has it, it'd be the Aborigines. Now they, they suffered the same kinds of problems that any people have when, when it came to, you know, uh, forces, there was jealousy and pride and all those kinds of things, and they killed their prophets, you know, according to those that you would speak of, speak with, if you went to and spoke with, you know, Latter-day Saint Aborigines, they would find themselves in the Book of Mormon and say, that's what happened to us too. And so you remove the, the, the prophet of the Lord, the prophet of God from the people, and the center cannot hold. And so they, their disconnection started to occur in that way. So very much, I mean, how many times have we seen this played out through global, global history? So to bring it back to, to the individual's need for healing and health, um, that reconnection between heaven and earth that is us. Yeah. Restoring that is, is, the, is the overarching um, uh, guide for how to, how, to be at, how, how to be restored to your health. 
and so what role does God play in that? Every role. And that's, you know, the, for the Aborigines, even going to get bush tucker or bush medicine is a spiritual experience for them. Uh, you know, how to compose it, where to go find it, how much of it to use, when to use it. And that's part of what Lorna did in the Strong Baby, Strong uh, uh, Women's Strong Culture. How did I say? Strong Women, Strong Baby, Strong Culture program. She reoriented them to how to go do those things and gave it place in ceremony. So they recognized, oh, I am an Aboriginal woman. Therefore, I will go do it like this. Ah. And wouldn't, you know. She reminded them. She reminded them. She brought them back to a sense of who they are and whose they are in connection with heaven and earth and allowed that veil to get thin again the way that it is so innately with them. When we open ourselves up to all this cultural wisdom, it, it allows us to open to other ideas and other ways of healing and other constructs that maybe we've never considered before. Yeah. And that's one thing I love when I chat with you is you've been open to those things and you just don't hold yourself in a place of it's got to look like this. Mm -hmm. And yes, there's room for science and there's room for Western medicine and there's room for pharmacology. Absolutely. But there's also room for all these other amazing Everything take things. its place at the table, right. so to speak. Right. And that's, that's, where, that's where we're going to really come to true enlightenment, yeah. is when all the gifts come to the table, including the scientific gifts, including the spiritual gifts of these native peoples, right. um, when, we, when they can all come to the table and judgment doesn't get to come with anybody. And we're hoping that in the Eternal Core Conference that you are seeing all these different gifts of these individuals. We've had the wonderful opportunity to talk with and to interview. And we're bringing these all together on the 29th and 30th of March at Little America. So come join us. We're so thankful that you would come today and share with us. And we look forward to having you at the conference. Thank you so much, Martha. Thank you both. It's you know, one last question, if you don't mind. We, you know, we're, we're, one of our next episodes is with Dr. Tony D'Angelo. And he's bringing also some more elements of Eastern medicine, right. Qigong. Sure, and, terrific. Uh, was, was there any, you know, really big ahas from this experience that you had that you would help us, you know, maybe a little bit of a teaser of what you're going to be talking about at the conference, just one more little tidbit that you think might, might really be helpful uh, that we could take with us and be thinking about between now and the end of March? bit of wisdom that you might have gained in your four years over there. In my, well, and actually it's been longer than longer that. Longer than that. Um, but uh, that, that was the initial part. And then I've been back and forth many times in the pursuit of getting this book written. Uh, it's a biography of, of, of Lorna. But in that, we've, we're teaching basically uh, how she would you know, share her beliefs with the, with the wider book reading audience about uh, you know, what her life has been like. Um, teasers for, for, to get you to come back. <laughs> uh, you know, really it is, uh, I guess it's a reemphasis of what we've just been talking about. Um, it, you bring up Qigong and the Eastern um, uh, approaches to, to healthcare intervention or to health and well-being. One of the things I learned in Samoa, uh, among other places, was the center of life is in the, is in the, uh, in the Eastern tradition, uh, the Shatandi and the Tawala in, in Samoan. It's that place in the core, you know, that center of gravity within the, within the body 
where where the healing is either is either going to happen or it's not. And so as you as you go to interface with other other ailments and whatnot in the body, um, if you are the healer, you know you start here, as they would you know as this, these healers would say to me, "Hut's uh, here, you start here. Hut's here, you start here." So what does that say about core to tap into yeah. your eternal core? I would I'm I'm I think You're there's go to the core. There's terrific terrific uh, meaning in your title, uh, eternal core. So when we take our core to its eternal source, then the veils start to thin and light starts to flow and we are that point of connection between all of these, all of these components that have to come together in order to give life. And so how do we bring into our culture right here today in you know, Happy Valley USA uh, this indigenosity, this aboriginality that can uh, restore us to our sense of who we really are, to reconnect us with Mother Earth, and to, to put us back in, in that direct, um, direct, immediate, nobody in between connection with our God. You know, how, how can we do that in the way that, our, that the early Aborigines did? Awesome, thank you. Sorry, I had to throw one more in there, no, Tom. beautiful. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thanks, Mark. Okay. Join Thank us you. March 29th and 30th at the Little America Hotel. We're going to be spending time with Martha, and she's going to tell us a whole lot more of her experience with the Aborigines of connecting to God. Thank you.